Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. None of the Bible is written to you, but all of it is written for you. Please understand that. Have you ever heard from God? How often do you expect to hear from God and what do you do with it? The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah had been delivering the word of God to the Israelites, but they were not having a bar of it. Hearing is one thing, accepting and doing is a whole other ball game. How can someone know what God is saying to them? Join Dr. Corbett now to explore exactly that in Jeremiah's painful vindication. This is really a, a time that we've reached in, in the story of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah has a month or two left before he is killed. And as we journey with Jeremiah and, and, and we've just seen in chapter 45 that he's addressed his faithful assistant Baruch and and Baruch has said after hearing Jeremiah say everyone's going to die everyone who fled is going to die Baruch has obviously said well that's hardly fair <laughs> I've been faithfully serving God and now you're telling me I'm going to die in Egypt with these rebels I didn't vote to come here I this is not fair and Jeremiah graciously I think speaks on behalf of God to Baruch and says to him don't seek great things for yourself I give you your life as a prize and Baruch's life is spared it's a very tender moment and it's tender because here's here's this man Baruch, who's been with Jeremiah for maybe 40 years, 40 years as, as his best friend. And Jeremiah has just said, God has just told me he's going to spare your life. You're not going to die when the Babylonians come into Egypt in a short while and go on their rampage. And the tender moment is accentuated because that wasn't God's word to Jeremiah. Jeremiah would die and Baruch's life would be spared. So it's a very tender moment. But this, is, this, this would ultimately fulfill the final prophecies of Jeremiah pertaining to his lifetime. He made prophecies about the coming Christ. And we can now look back on the life of Christ through the Gospels and see that they were all fulfilled too. So Jeremiah was, in, in this moment... Around this time, he was vindicated. This is his painful vindication. Vindication is when you're proven right. And for Jeremiah, this was a painful vindication, partly because he paid for this vindication with his own life. So let's remind ourselves of what he'd been doing over the last little while. He had been calling Israel to keep their covenant with God. And, and this is one of those things where, as a pastor, as a preacher, I assume everybody knows what a covenant is. No need to explain that. But for the sake of explaining it, let's just brush over it, shall we? A covenant is an agreement between two parties. They came in various forms. They came in brotherhood partnerships. We see that in around about Genesis 28 when uh, Jacob and Laban formed a, a brotherhood covenant. They exchanged weapons. They cut wrists to mingle their blood with each other. They sacrificed an animal. They ate that 
as a, as a meal together, they broke bread together, they had witnesses, they swore allegiance to each other, they gave each other their possessions, whatever possession they had, they let each other have equal access to it. That's a covenant of brotherhood. There's another covenant where a king might come in and conquer a territory and form a covenant. Generally, they don't call it a covenant. Generally, in those instances, the covenant is called a treaty. It's, it's still basically a covenant where there's an agreement. And the agreement could be, I will rule over you and you will pay me taxes. Any questions? And that is what had happened with Nebuchadnezzar coming in initially. He conquered Judah and imposed taxation on them, tribute on them, which is essentially defeating them, conquering them, humiliating them. And then there's the type of covenant where a benefactor, someone with great power, great wealth, great resources, may come to someone who doesn't have much and form an agreement with them that everything they have they will give this person access to and and God calls us into a covenant and it 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 has it has elements of all of those three different types of covenants if you think about it it has the element of brotherhood Christ died on the cross and he says I I no longer call you Servants, I, I call you friends. I no longer, you, you're now my friends. It's, it's a covenant of friendship. It's a covenant where together we, we are co-equal with Christ. It's an amazing thing. But there is an element where he has conquered us and he rightfully imposes something on us to, to whom we now owe our due. That, that's a reasonable aspect of the covenant as well. He is, after all, a king. And he's a conquering king. And then there's the aspect of the covenant where God is God, the supreme power, the, the, the one with supreme resource. And he, in his great benefaction, his incredible generosity, forms a covenant with us, impoverished, bankrupt, those of us who have nothing. And this is a covenant. Our covenant with Christ has a condition to it. In the Old Testament, the the record of the Old Covenant, it had conditions, and that was animal sacrifices, temple, priesthood, the law of Moses, all that kind of stuff. In the New Covenant, the condition is this. It's not that you go and get a PhD in astrophysics or anything. It's that you put your faith and trust in Christ. That's the condition. So what's happened? Jeremiah has prophesied from a young age, that Israel is going to go into captivity. And he didn't just pull this out of the air. This is based on Deuteronomy chapters 26 and 27. It actually says that if you break this covenant, and this is one of the types of covenants, that God formed a covenant with an entire nation, the nation of Israel. Now, the deal wasn't that you belonged to Israel. The deal was that together you belonged to God. That was the point. So when they came out of Egypt, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there was a stack of Egyptians that went out with them and said, we want with your God. We want to worship your God too. And the Hebrews said, okay, you're in. They didn't have to be born a Hebrew. 
They could be a part of God's people. And we see that kind of pattern happening all the way through the New Testament. We read Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was a Roman soldier. He saw the God of the Hebrews and he said, that's the God I want to worship too. So it's not about ethnicity. It's about devotion. And so we have Jeremiah reminding the people that when we formed this covenant as a nation, we said, if we, we, we promise to be faithful and to keep this covenant. We promise it. And God said, okay, here's what will happen if you don't. You will be cursed in your going out. You'll be cursed in your coming in. You'll be cursed here. You'll be cursed there. You'll be cursed here. You'll be cursed there. Do you understand, Israel? Yes, we absolutely understand. And none of that will ever come upon us because we will be faithful. We don't, need that. we don't even need to contemplate those curses because we will always be faithful and loyal to you, God. We love you, God. And God says in Deuteronomy 26 and 27, fine, if that's the case, then you'll be blessed in your going out. You'll be blessed in your coming in. You'll be blessed when you sit down. You'll be blessed when you stand up. You'll be blessed in your family. You'll be fruitful. You'll have many, many children. They will be a blessing to you. You'll be blessed with good crops. You'll be blessed with good... And he just goes on and on and on. The blessings. It's with this in mind that when Jeremiah had been calling Israel to come back to the covenant that they themselves had made with God. And nearly, nearly every generation had renewed that covenant. So this was no surprise. This wasn't like, where are you getting this from, Jeremiah? They knew it full well. And he called them to come back and they didn't. And as a result of refusing to return to the covenant, they suffered the consequences. And where are those consequences mentioned? We're going to see in a moment. They're out of that Deuteronomy 26 and 27 passage. This is, there's nothing new here. So Israel had agreed to the terms the blessings and the curses in their covenant. For example, Deuteronomy 29, we read this. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done this uh, thus to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? So this is, this is the, the extrapolation. You go out, you'll be, you'll be cursed if you don't keep the covenant. And part of the curse is, I will bring in another nation. They will swoop in. And they will take you and they will rip you out of the land. And the land, God says, will spew you out. And you will be taken to another land and held captive there. So this is a part of the law. And now we're in Deuteronomy 29 and it's saying that the peoples of the world will see this. And you can hear the heart of God. You see, Israel was never meant to be the main deal. They were meant to be a reflector of the main deal. They were not meant to be the light. They were meant to be the reflectors of the light. They were meant to show the nations of the world, this is what it looks like to have God as your God. A nation under God is a nation that is blessed, a nation that is prosperous, a nation that is happy and content, a nation where the downtrodden are looked after, where the oppressed are no more, where they are delivered and set free. A nation unto God looks after people. It doesn't oppress people. That's what Israel was meant to be. And it was meant to be an absolute witness to the world. This is what it looks like 
to serve God. We reflect Him. This is how He treats people. So when they began to abuse people, when they began to throw their babies into furnaces, claiming this was worship to false gods, when they began to treat people poorly, when they began to execute people because they, they hadn't paid their debts to them, when they began to enslave one another, the heart of God was broken. Absolutely broken. And they were breaking the covenant. And here in Deuteronomy 29, through Moses, God says, when you do that, I'll take you out of the land. And this is what the nations will say. Then people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant. There's that word. The covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. The next verse goes on and says, And went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they had not known, gods he had, whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in the book. And the Lord uprooted them, from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. Wow. And that is exactly what's happened. And now we're at this stage of the book of Jeremiah. Nebuchadnezzar has come in. He's done exactly what was forecast in the book of Deuteronomy some 1,000 years or so earlier prophesied. And so now we have... This, this moment where Nebuchadnezzar has come in, he's destroyed the city, he's appointed a governor, the governor has been assassinated, Nebuchadnezzar's a bit ticked about that, and you've got the survivors there going, he's so ticked, we're afraid that if we stay here, he'll assassinate us. I don't think it's safe for us to stay here. Jeremiah, what does God want us to do? And we now pick it up here, and I want to remind you of the section we've just looked at. We're in Jeremiah 42 verse 1. This is what it says. Then all the commanders of the forces, and Yohanan the son of Korea, and Jezaniah and the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to the Lord your God for us for all this remnant, because we are left but a few as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing we should do. Verse 4, Jeremiah the prophet said to them, this is worth highlighting and underlining in your Bible, it's quite profound, I have heard you, behold, I will pray to the Lord your God. <laughs> That's subtle. That's really subtle. He's just flipped it. They said, the Lord your God. He said, no, it's the Lord your God too, you know. And according to your request and whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you, I will keep nothing back from you. Okay, so the story unfolds that he tells them the word of the Lord and it was, don't go to Egypt. Don't flee, stay here. And the people are going, now that really doesn't make sense. I'm not sure that God knows what he's talking about. I think we should go anyway. And off they trot to Egypt. And here they are in Egypt, and it was one of the worst decisions they could have made. And they paid for it with their lives. Now let's just ponder at this point, because this whole section is, is about... How do you hear from God? You see, 
the people already had the written word of God in Deuteronomy, saying that if you are faithful to me, I will keep you in the land and plant you there. And Jeremiah's just repeated it, really, and they've rejected it. So how do you hear from God? How can you know what God is saying to you? Ever had that question bouncing around in your mind? How do I know this is God? How do I know what God is saying? Let me talk to someone who perhaps is starting off on this spiritual journey. This, this whole journey with God is, is completely new to you. Perhaps it's so new to you, you haven't even started it yet. Perhaps you're wondering, does God speak? Isn't God just an idea? Aren't we here just celebrating a memory? Aren't we here? Like, we, you don't think God speaks to you, do you? What are you guys, crazy? And here's what I want to suggest. If you can accept that there must be a cause for this, it's not just random, and that God is the best explanation, as I, I think he, he is, then if he's that good, if he's that vast, if he's that powerful, do you think he has the capacity to communicate with his creation? And surely if you think it through, you're going to have to say, yeah, of course he could. And I would go, good, that's, that's the, really the first thing I, I want you just to consider. And I don't think enough people have considered it. So this is, this is what I, I, I start here. I think it's reasonable that God could communicate about himself to people. I think that's reasonable. And I believe it. I believe that is the case. And we see examples of that in the Old Testament, where the audible voice rarely but occasionally was heard by people and often they didn't obey. And because they didn't obey, they ended up in the bellies of great fish. They ended up in all kinds of weird places trying to run away from the voice of God. But how might God do that? Well, I think he can do it directly. How might God speak to us directly if it's not an audible voice? Anyone ever had a dream? And then throughout your day or days coming, something happens and you go, I dreamt this moment. And you've got to think, that's weird, wouldn't you? But God could speak through dreams. God could also give you a vision. That is kind of like, you, you know, you just, poof, you just see something in your mind. Just, poof, there it is. He could do that. The problem with that is it's subject to how you interpret it. That's why we call it subjective. Because it's subject to your interpretation, you might get it wrong. So here's... Here's the other way God could speak. He could speak objectively. I'm going to put the Bible in that category. When God speaks objectively, it's often not just to you. It's often for others. Not necessarily to others, but it's for others. Let's have a look. It applies to all people. Let's, let's have a look. It says in Romans chapter 1, here's how God could speak. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 says... Everyone is born with spiritual ears already attuned to the voice of God. And you hear that voice of God when you look at creation. 
You hear that voice of God when you interact with others. You hear that voice of God when you interact with Scripture. You hear that voice of God the Apostle is saying in a way that you have no excuse. So we can hear from God. Do you want to hear from God? I want to give you some things in a moment that will help you, I believe, to do that better. How does God speak? I mentioned the Bible. I mentioned dreams. I mentioned visions. This is what Hebrews chapter 1 says. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by, notice this, many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Notice that. Number one, in many ways, we've mentioned dreams, visions, audible voices at times. Number two, he used prophets, a very normative way. God would use a prophet to speak. And that prophet, I mean, thank God for prophets. The normal way we see God communicating, if we read through, the, through Acts, we see the great apostle Paul reaching a point where the Holy Spirit said, no, no further. And it, it's a, it surprised him. Now, if the Apostle Paul was walking and talking in communion with the Holy Spirit, just, you know, just willy-nilly in casual conversation, in flippant conversation with God, that wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been like that. But it was. It surprised him. And so he stops in his missionary journey. And we read that he then was confounded. He did not know what to do. Well, that sounds strange if you're always on tap hearing the voice of God. And he waited and he waited and he waited and then he went to sleep. A really good strategy when you don't know what to do. And that night, remember what happened? He dreamt a dream and he saw the Macedonian man. And he said, this is God directing us. Now that sounds like that could be one of the normal ways God communicates. And so he took that and Eventually, Europe was evangelized as a result of Paul responding to that direction. So prophets are people that God will use and they are held more accountable. That's why I say thank God for prophets. And then thirdly, Jesus Christ. You want to know what God is saying to you? Listen to what Jesus Christ said to us. And you will get it. And that's what Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says. All right, so let's come back into Jeremiah. We're, we're sort of looking at how God speaks. Jeremiah is in this second category. He's a prophet. He's hearing from God. God has chosen him as a mouthpiece. Thank God for it. And here we have him speaking God's word, and I want you to notice these categories, to individuals. We've just seen in chapter 45, he spoke to an individual, Baruch. But we can also look at the fact that he spoke to Jeconiah, Zedekiah, these kings. He spoke to individuals. He gave individual words to people from God. We can see that he spoke to nations. He spoke to the whole nation, in particular Israel. What we're going to see in a moment is that he begins to speak to the surrounding nations and he picks the two nations first up, first up, that Israel was supposed to have had the greatest witness to and was supposed to have played a role in converting them to worship the one true God, that is Egypt and the Philistines. 
These are the first two nations he's going to address. Jeremiah spoke God's word to individuals, Israel, surrounding nations, for people everywhere. That's what we have on our lap. And even though he spoke for, I want you to notice this, the difference between four and two. None of the Bible is written to you, but all of it is written for you. Please understand that. It's written for us. In other words, as I mentioned over communion, we look at what it says, what it means, and then we ask the third question. What was the third question? How does it apply? What do I do with this God? And maybe that's what you've got to do. Maybe you've got to read it and go, okay, I see what it says. I'm not quite sure what it means. But God, now I want to know, how does this apply? Show me what I'm to do with this. So it's all written for us. But here's the, the, the really sad thing. Those to, to whom it was originally written, they rejected it. They rejected the word of God. I find this staggering because as a 13-year-old boy, Jeremiah begins to prophesy some of the most outstanding, perhaps outrageous things, unbe literally unbelievable things, and within years they begin to happen. Some of the prophecies that he prophesied in his later teens and early 20s were fulfilled within weeks. Some of them began to be fulfilled within days. And it wasn't like he, he said it in private. He said it in front of the whole palace staff. He said it in the courtyard of the temple. Everyone knew that he prophesied it and it happened. This guy had credibility. And now we're at that point where there is no doubt Jeremiah has been vindicated. Yet they still rejected it. Now here's where I want to just take this and ask the question. Well, what has that got to do with me? Well, here's what I think it's got to do with us. We, it needs to have something happen in our hearts because regardless of how God speaks to you today, or let, let's just put this in the category, most people today, because I think something changed in the world on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and now God is speaking to just about everybody. <laughs> and yet most people do not receive what God is saying even today so here's my challenge to you do you want to do you want to hear what god is saying to you do you want to know what god is saying to you do you want to know what he's saying and have the strength and the capacity to apply what he's saying to you today do you you could come to know god speaking to you from this day by opening your heart and mind to his, I'm going to use the word objective word, which I'm saying is, in, is immediately scripture, objective word for you. And I'm not just thinking, well, that's just a good idea. I'll just throw that good idea out. This is actually what Hebrews 3.15, quoting Psalm 95, says. This is what it says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. See, I know that there are people who say, well, if God speaks, you'll hear him, no doubt about it. But here Hebrews says, and this is, by the way, the second time it's said it in this chapter, there are some to whom God is speaking and they will not hear him because their heart is hard. Their heart is hard. What hardens a heart? Unforgiveness, hurt, bitterness, betrayal, 
Sometimes we transfer all these things onto God and we don't like the implications of what God might say to us and our heart becomes hard. There are some here today and you've been hurt and you know your heart has hardened toward God. And it's, it's as if your heart is like a, a house, a big house with many rooms, with a big corridor. And God can come this far, but he's not coming down the end of the corridor where I dwell. And can I say, stop running, open the door, open your heart and let him in. Let God have his way in your heart. This was the plea of Jeremiah. And I hope you can begin to see what we've now just done in this section from 42 to 45 as we've just summarized it. We're actually moving straight into this third aspect of reading God's word, which is how does this affect me? How does this apply to me? Well, here's how it applies. These people were exposed to one of the most profound and accurate prophets in human history, and they still refused to hear the voice of God. God uses different methods to speak to us, but regardless of how God speaks today, there are those who will not receive it because of its implications for them. Are we guilty of rejecting God's word? More from Dr. Corbett next week with You Don't Have to Be From Egypt to Be Egyptian. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah's Painful Vindication, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For special offers and regular updates, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is the pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.